rise and shine. Right, welcome folks to episode 4 of the 5am League podcast. I'm your host Chris Duggan and this week I'm joined by none other than sports journalist Ryan McDonald. How are you getting on brother? How's things? No bad mate, how are you? I'm good mate, can't complain. I imagine even though sports stopped you're quite a busy man these days. i busier than ever, you know what I mean? I've, I have to laugh at people. Uh... When the shutdown happened, they were saying, oh, you, you won't have much to write about. But if there's more to write about, then I think I can ever remember, to be honest, uh, despite there being no football. <laughs> so been, it's been quite hectic. But, you know, hopefully we'll get an answer soon as to what's going to happen for the future. But the honest, the honest truth is nobody knows, do they? Yeah, no, because obviously we're going to try to cover a lot of stuff in this. But I think it's probably best that we start off with, obviously, the, you know, the whole malarkey that's went on with the SPFL. So, I mean, basically, for those that don't know, I guess we need to start off from the beginning obviously with this coronavirus it suspended the season originally like it did with everything else and obviously you then had the vote for whether or not the clubs come back and or whether or not they decide you know to replay the the season at a later date so kind of see at the start of all this when all this obviously you had the whole thing with Dundee's vote which was obviously the big talking point when this all started off you know, in terms of what did they vote, when did the vote get in? So what, when you were trying to kind of cover this and that original kind of first few weeks of all this, this vote, what were you hearing about at all? So the SBFL put out a resolution to all 42 member clubs. Um, you know, there was disagreements about whether it was it was, a, it was a good thing or a bad thing. It eventually got to the, the, the infamous Good Friday vote. Yeah, I mean... You'd expect it to be a, an easy process. It's a case of yes or no, where clubs vote for it or they don't. And then the SPFL announced an incomplete result. Uh, and there's one team missing that quickly transpires that it's Dundee. So right away, uh, John Nelms becomes uh, the unlikely kingmaker in this whole process. And you've, all, you've obviously, you know, I'm sure everybody knows, but you've obviously uh, got the situation where they submitted a, a no vote um, against the resolution but the SPFL said they didn't receive it due to some electronical error, I'm not sure <laughs> spam or junk, God knows what happened, still don't know the bottom of that But Somebody's not checked their Gmail account some, Exactly, so, so as I say Dundee kind of they emerges. John Nelms emerges as the unlikely kind of kingmaker and all this, and um, it later transpires five day, five days down the line they, they do a U-turn and they the um, they vote yes in favour of it, and the lower leagues are shut down. Dundee United are crowned champions. Partick Thistle are relegated, and the same with the, the other leagues as well. And yeah, that's, that's that's basically what happened. Now the question is. What happened in between the Good Friday vote and their U-turn? We don't know. That, that That's still what we, the answers we, we'd like to know. And I think that's what Rangers want to know as well. And Hearts and Strenard, who all um, put forward the uh, the, the requisition uh, for an independent inquiry. You know, there's claims that uh, there was bullying. Uh, you know, there's claims that, you know, Dundee were, were forced to, to, to change their vote. We, we don't know. We, we honestly don't know what happened. Um, and I think an independent inquiry would have, would have uh, established the real reasons behind it. But the SBFL carried out their own one uh, with Deloitte and they were quite happy that there was no wrongdoing um, and the clubs ultimately voted against it. You know, nobody really knows what happens between that Good Friday and Dundee doing the U-turn. What, in your opinion, do you think happened? I, I honestly honestly don't know. Uh, I wouldn't like to speculate as to what 
what happened. Um, as I say, Dundee said he submitted the vote. The SPFL, uh, Mother McLean, the chairman, said that uh, later down the line that the, uh, the vote was submitted because they eventually found it. But just an electronic um, mix-up, we didn't receive it. The, the, the initially, Dundee then uh, told, informed the SPFL not to consider the their no vote um, because they, they wanted to change their mind. It's the question is why did they want to change their mind after originally submitting a no vote? We, we don't know, uh, and uh, the honest truth is I, I I don't know either. Which is why we you know there's all sorts of accusations going around and uh, probably dangerous for me to go into to that. Um, so we we honestly don't know. I think independent inquiry would have maybe answered those questions, but you know the SPFL are, are confident that they were cleared of any wrongdoing by Deloitte. You know Rangers produced that dossier of a series of accusations, but then. The day, I think Rangers are considering taking it further. Whether they do so, we don't know. I mean, it's obviously I was over here in Australia, and because of the time difference, I would wake up every morning having to play catch up on Twitter, you know, trying to catch up on what the day's news was. And for a good solid week there, it was just carnage every time you looked up the news or you looked on Twitter. It was, I don't know if you follow the, the guy in Twitter, um, I can't remember his name, but he runs a statement league. But oh my god, it's statements galore. <laughs> It seems every single day <laughs> it's just a statement and it's just it's a nightmare. It was, and it's not, it's not as if it's just a, a simple kind of, you know, a hundred word, two hundred word statement. I mean, they go into, oh, he's talking, you know, eight, nine thousand word statements and you need to read through it and get it online as quickly as you can. Oh, it's a nightmare. Yeah, I can imagine you, for especially for someone that's trying to cover it all, it must have been absolutely crazy. So obviously after Dundee's vote, they did decide eventually to terminate the league. Now, this is obviously a tricky point now because nobody anticipated the league coming to a result as coming to an end and nobody could have obviously anticipated this virus and therefore there was teams with different points totals and obviously different games played the likes of Thistle who are two points off the bottom but had a game to, game in hand you know and yeah. You know, Wraith are winning the league, being a point ahead with eight games to go. And, you know, obviously there was never going to be a result where everyone was happy with this unless, which is where the idea then came in of this league restructure. So talking about just a restructure of the league in general, would you be for a kind of increased amount of teams in the top tier and a kind of second tier? And would you be for that just on normal circumstances? Well, PFA Scotland put that question to the, the players this, uh, in the SPFL and I think the overwhelming uh, reaction to that was that the players would prefer the, the Premiership to be expanded. Whether it's the right time to do it or not, I'm not so sure. You know, it's been proposed in the past uh, during the SPL era and it never pushed through. Whether it should happen now, I'm not convinced. I have sympathy for Hearts going down. I have sympathy for Partick Thistle, I have sympathy for Stranraer, but at the end of the day, you don't want to, you know, it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction, I think, in my opinion, trying to push through league reconstruction. You've got the television deal as well, you know, you've, you've, you need to ensure that there's, there's, there's still going to be those four uh, Celtic Rangers games and you know maybe perhaps they would have came to a, a way to ensure that would still happen but you know I think I think ultimately if they were to to, to push push it through the route I think it would be a kind of rush reaction just to to maybe potential safeguard you know one club's one club's position in the, in the Premiership which is which is Hearts now I do have sympathy for Hearts but at the end of the day there's 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 no easy solution to this it's an impossible task and i do feel sorry for the spfl and those that have to make these decisions you know the clubs of the spfl is a as a member's organization so it goes to the club's votes but i just i, I do think it, if we were to expand or change the league structure at the minute i think it would be a, um, quite rushed 
um, and a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. I think you need to sit down, let us settle, and then maybe you know look to it next summer um, if we want to really uh, expand the model. Yeah, I mean, you feel like Scottish football. There, you know, you think of there's a certain number of teams that you think should always be in the Premier League. Obviously, we're the same age, so grown up, you know, you always had Celtic Rangers was a given. Hearts, Hibs, your two Edinburgh clubs. You really want your two Dundees in the Premier League, your Aberdeens, your Inverness, and then a kind of fluctuation of maybe littler clubs, your Hamiltons and stuff going up and down. And But it seems like for the past maybe six or seven years, it seems every year one of these major teams, whether it be a Dundee United, a Hibs, a Hearts, Hearts have obviously already been relegated a few years ago, it seems like Scotland, Scottish football as a whole, just can't catch a break with getting all these teams in the league at the one time. Yeah, but ultimately you've got, you know, you've got to earn your place in the top three. You know, Dundee United have been down a few years, few years now, uh, and you know, I've they expected them to bounce up straight away, but they didn't, and it's taken them, you know, longer than probably expected. But if you know, I think with the addition of Lauren Shanklin, uh, that's certainly helped the promotion push this season. And by far and away, they they deserve to go up this term. Nobody can question that. It'll be great to have Dundee United back in the Premiership. I think you know, Tannadice is a fantastic stadium. The fans are brilliant, and that's why it's a shame to see Hearts go down because Hearts have got arguably, you know, Tynecastle is arguably the the best um, the, the best stadium for, for in terms of atmosphere in, in Scottish football. You know, every player. I think will tell you that uh, will it be Hibs, Celtic, Rangers everybody loves going to Tynecastle and that will be a great shame to, to see Hearts go down uh, in that sense but ultimately Hearts have only won I think it's four games four league games this season and the bottom of the table for a reason now of course it's unfortunate that you know it looks as if they're going to be relegated with eight games to go who knows what could have happened you know they, they, might, have, they might have pulled off a miracle but as it stands at the minute Hearts, Hearts have been Hearts have you know they've been had a disastrous season uh, and it's been down to bad management with Craig Levine and even Ann Budge you know keeping me keeping our uh, trust in Levine for so long and then the, the appointment of Daniel Stendhal you know he, the good Decent CV coming from from Barnsley, but he's he's not really improved things drastically. You know, good results against Rangers, but ultimately he's, he's not been able to lift them off the the, the the bottom of the table. And you know, it will be a shame to see Hearts go down. You lose, you know, obviously for the TV side of things. Um, it's, it's a shame they won't get the the Edinburgh derbies. Of course, you can still get that in the Scottish Cup semi final, which is still to be played whenever that may be. It could be this year, it could be next year, but it will be played. And you do, of course, want all your best teams in the top flight, but you've got to earn, you've got to earn that. And unfortunately, you know, two Hearts fans will admit themselves, they've admitted it throughout the whole season, you know, they've, they've been absolutely dreadful. Apart from, you know, the odd, odd, odd occasion against Rangers, but they, they really showed, you know, what a top team they could be. I mean, I was fortunate enough to play Tynecastle quite a few times and it was it was by far the best stadium that I ever played at and it was Tynecastle is a weird one because it doesn't look the same in person as it is on the telly like you watch it on the telly and it looks quite you, I don't think you get the impression that the stadium or the stand is as close to the park as it actually is and the fans really yeah. are on top of you when you're at Tynecastle and anybody that been has been there knows that. And I mean, we beat Hearts in the cup on penalties, albeit uh, the League Cup at the start of the season. And it was, yeah, they weren't a great side. And they did kind of, they lo- there looked like a glimmer of hope when this new manager first came in. And I think, did he not get rid of like half the team or something and told all your... Yeah, kind of, you know, was, was kicked out, wasn't he? Yeah, all your slower ones, he says... 
I'm no place for you. And it did look, but obviously it was, I mean, I, I feel for any manager trying to come in after the season started, you know, you don't have a summer to work with the boys and whatever. And But I mean, I do agree with you that, you know, Hearts, I think Thistle, obviously taking out the fact that I used to play for Thistle, I do feel for them. Oh, I feel like so two absolutely. points off with a game in hand. So technically, you're not even last if you win that game. You know that's. But like you said, it's a difficult situation where you're not going to keep everyone happy. You yeah. know, I mean, the likes of Rican, who I think you know something like ten points off the bottom, aren't going to get relegated this year because they've snubbed Kelty and uh, Brora out, out of the, the chance to come up. So I guess moving on then, the next stage was then the main headline that's occupied the, the news for the past, well, couple of weeks now because we've been waiting on it for so long is this dossier that was coming out of Rangers Football Club. So obviously the start was that there was this big smoking gun. They had some kind of, I think everybody expected when this came out to be unleashing hell upon the SFA so before it came out and it was quite a long gap waiting on it did you guys were you guys in the loop did you know was there what was the chat about what this smoking gun might be again nobody knew if you listen to all the the, you know BBC uh, podcasts if you listen to Clyde if you listen to you know nobody knew um, we're all kind of waiting to find out what this was. You know, Rangers had said that they had alarming evidence, and that you know it's a huge, huge call to um, you know call for the, the heads of Neil Doncaster and the legal advisor uh, Ron McKenzie. You know they, they wanted them suspended, so you expected that they'd have something huge. And you know, but Neil, Don- Neil, Neil Doncaster, Neil Doncaster had appeared on various various shows and he was in the papers and he said, look, I've got nothing to fear here. I've not done anything wrong. So he he was always relatively cool about the situation and then obviously Rangers released it and there was a kind of there was a series of kind of allegations made against uh, the league and it's been backed by it was backed by I think it was 13 other clubs at the resolution um, so you know that, that, that's effectively what happened but between you know Rangers saying that they had the dossier and them releasing it nobody knew what they had yeah and then obviously the dossiers now came out and it was a little I think safe to say underwhelming for what we were all anticipating it was going to be and you then had this situation where obviously with the bullying and now I do understand that listen the SFA have a tough job because they're never going to be kept happy no matter you know, especially when you've got two teams like Celtic and Rangers in the country where, you know, you're always going to get one side of the, the line ticked off with your your um, your decisions, so to speak. And I think that we can agree that both sets of fans have complained about the SFA on numerous occasions. And going forwards, obviously, Hearts and Stranraer voted with Rangers for this investigation and no other team did. Am I right in saying that? So, just to, just to be clear, so it, it's not an SFA situation, it's purely SPFL. Uh, so it's the... It's right, okay. The they're, they're taking to do with the Scottish national team and the, the Scottish Cup, but this is an SPFL league uh, situation. Um, so, I, as I say, the, requis- the requisition was put forward by Rangers and it was backed by, by Hearts and Stranraer. Uh, and then they put it forward that the AGM and the, the clubs voted to either be in favour of it or, or against, and ultimately the, the resolution was was rejected. And so, what's what's next? What do you think is the fallout from all this? 
it's just a case of whether Rangers let it lie or, you know, as I say, we understand that they're, they're considering taking legal action, whether they do so or not. You know, Neil Doncaster, has, I think, has already made it clear that if Rangers were to take legal action, they'd be taken against the clubs because the SPFL organisation is a members organisation that's made up by the clubs. So, you know, what Doncaster's saying is Rangers would effectively be taking legal action against their own cl- their fellow clubs uh, and not anyone specifically at the SBFL. I think Rangers, rightly or wrongly, are aggrieved uh, about the situation. Um, you know, they've got the back in their hearts because they're going to suffer as a direct consequence of going down, same as Stranra. And the clubs that voted in favour as well, they obviously believe that uh, there's, there's still questions to be answered. And, but... At the end of the day, the vote was the vote was you know it's a democratic vote. It was it was put down in the end, and you know as far as I'm concerned, people will have their own views. But it's time to move on and just focus in in saving Scottish football. You know, there's a real possibility that clubs could go to the wall here, uh, and the focus should be on trying to get this game back up and running quickly and as safely as we can. And that's that's got to be the, the aim moving forward. You know, there's been so many hours and manpower put into to to this whole discussion but at the end of the day clubs are you know I'm pretty sure some clubs will be on the brink of going to the wall at the minute so that has got to be the priority for me moving forward especially your lower league teams that obviously live season to season you know and can't always rely on those TV games that the Premier League teams can even teams that aren't Celtic and Rangers you know chances are you'll get one game on the telly between you and them at some point during the season, but and the situation is, you know, down south in England, you know, certainly in the Premier League, potentially the Championship as well, you know, they could they could easily survive without any fan income. They don't rely on season tickets. I think they could, you know, I think the top flight anyway uh, with the, the astronomical figures they get through uh, the TV deal, they could survive and make a profit without fans coming in, without a single fan coming through the gate. See, that's just not the case up here. We don't get a, we don't even get a fraction of of what they get down south, and our clubs quite simply rely on fans coming through the gates. They rely on season ticket money, and you know without that, I, I just my personal view is the next for the rest of this year anyway. There won't be any fans attending the football game, and that is worrying. That, no. that truly is worrying. You know, you've got the the idea of of virtual season tickets. You know, where fans could they'll pay into the you know. They could still pay for a virtual season ticket. The clubs would televise the games through their own online channels and fans could watch it through there. But, I mean, what does, you know, I don't think Sky will be too happy at that. You know, what? how yeah. is that going to impact the Sky deal? You know, they're paying 30-odd million pounds a year to broadcast games. And if, if fans are going to tune in via their own club websites uh, and not through Sky, then, you know, I, I don't know how that would impact uh, the Sky television deal, which ultimately, you know, we do rely on as well. So it's just a horrible situation and it's something that nobody could have ever imagined uh, happening, you know, even at Christmas or New Year. It's just it's a nightmare scenario and it's just worrying times ahead for Scottish football. I think sport worldwide is in a similar position where this whole idea of how do we get back on track you know because do we do it without fans with fans if some if we start back and a player test positive for corona do you go back and just can it all or do you take him out do you take out the teams he's played the past two weeks you know there's so many decisions that have to go into it hence why you know a lot of clubs haven't or a lot of sports countrywide haven't started back and it'll be interesting to see obviously with the Bundesliga starting back this weekend how they handle it all because I think a lot of countries are probably looking at them now 
to see how this pans out, you yeah. know, and if they're able to maybe get semblance of schedule underway, then maybe it'll provide a bit of comfort to other countries thinking about doing the same. Yeah, I mean, people can say that it's it's only football, but at the end of the day, I, I do obviously understand that it is only a game, but, you know, there is it's a business as well, and there's a danger that clubs will go to the wall. Clubs could go extinct from this, and, you know, clubs contribute immensely to the communities that they're in, and I think the chairman and uh, chief executives and fans will back that up, so... You know, it's not just a case of a football club going to the wall and you move on. It, the community suffers as a consequence of that as well. Uh, and obviously, you've got the local pubs and, you know, everyone, it's, a, it's not just a football issue. It's a, it's a, it's a real problem. And I really don't know what's going to happen, uh, to be honest. I, I do fear that, as I say, fans won't get, won't get to see another game inside a stadium for at least the remainder of this year. I mean, if football does start back and they decide it's not, it's going to be without fans and they manage to find a way to negotiate the Sky deal, I don't know if the clubs give Sky a portion of what they maybe get from the club website, work around all these obstacles that lie in their way. The other then factor that's getting brought up is how much of the season do we then play or do we just go straight into next season? Because obviously this is now at the point where it's starting to have a knock-on effect on years coming and so what are you hearing in terms of you know you mentioned earlier about the fact the Scottish Cup still to go what are you hearing in terms of what the likelihood scenario is going forward or is there even any momentum behind any of that chat at the moment what I understand is going to happen is the league will be called soon, could even be today, we don't know, uh, but I think it certainly will be called by the end of May. Um, then all the focus will be on um, starting the season in July, which I think is the SPFL and SFA are both um, gearing towards. I think that's when the Sky deal starts as well and the Betfred Cup group stages start then as well. So whether that's going to be possible, we don't know. We just need to see how, you know, it's a day by, you need to take it day by day, really, um, with this virus. Um, and I think it'll be heavily influenced by what the government say as well. I think that all the sporting bodies are in, in talks, constant talks with the government to look at the way forward and you need to take it from there really. Um, so in terms of the Scottish Cup, Rod Petrie, the SFA president, has already stated that that will be played because obviously the SPFL and SFA are separate organisations. The SPFL clubs rely on the prize money, uh, which is why a lot of them want the, the, the league to be called just now. I think all 12 have, have accepted now that it's, it's, it's re- unrealistic to, to finish a season. The SFA, as I say, um, the Scottish Cup is an SFA competition, so that can be kind of played out um, whenever. And I think the SFA also want, um, you know, the, the money from fans coming through the gates, and uh, they've also got the, the sponsorship issue as well. It's a William Hill sponsored competition, so you know William Hill will want the the, uh, the the competition played out as well. So, you know, in terms of going forward, the SBFL will be called soon. The plan is to restart football in July uh, whether that's going to happen or not simply don't know and the Scottish Cup I think will definitely be played out doesn't matter whether it's this year or next year it certainly will be played out um, and that's that's what I think the plan is at the minute moving forward uh, like you like you just mentioned there obviously a lot of it's out of sports control you know in terms of how this moves forward and a lot of it is down to the governing body of the countries and deciding how best to proceed you being sports journalist, Ryan, how has, obviously, you? I guess you could count yourself quite fortunate that all this malarkey was going on because it kept you busy. 
well during this quarantine but how obviously with sport you know stopped and this hopefully now the end of all this drama in Scottish football how how does your job look going forward in terms of what will your day mainly consist of now for the rest of lockdown is until sports do arrive well, Scottish football is never boring, uh, that's for certain. So, well, this might settle down, there'll be another issue that will pop up soon. Um, so, we don't, we don't need to worry about that in terms of workload. But if it ever does quieten down, you know, it's, I find, I've found it a really good opportunity to make contacts uh, and to interview various folk and uh, footballers in the league and former players that used to play in Scotland. Did you have an interview with Rivaldo the other week? Yeah, yeah, I sorted out a. a chat with Rivaldo so that was that was excellent uh, put questions to him about I remember it very well at the time he was when Henrik Larson had left Celtic Martin O'Neill had, had wanted to to bring Rivaldo in he was a free agent and I think he'd just left AC Milan and I remember it very well at the time it was in the Celtic view and it was all plastered all over the papers uh, and we never really we never really found out what what happened um I think Celtic had offered him a trial and he rejected it. But we never heard Rivaldo's side of things, so um, there was just an opportunity to to ask him about it, and that's what I did. And he was he was brilliant and very open in what he said. So yeah, it was interesting. I mean, you know, things like that. Ordinarily, we probably wouldn't have time to, or I wouldn't even thought of doing that. But you just need to try and think outside the box, and uh, and that was that was that was enjoyable writing that. So how did that, how was that a video call? Was that just over the phone? How did well, that work? Done, done through a third party. Uh, right, okay. So yeah. uh, put the questions to him and, and he, he answered them and he was, he was excellent. Yeah, I can imagine that's one off the bucket list. Aye, it was, it was surreal, I must admit. You know, when he read back his answers, it was, it was unreal. Uh, you know, a former Ballon d'Or winner and World Cup winner. You know, somebody used to idolise as a wee guy as well. So, I you, you do get a buzz from that. It's, it's exciting. Then you see how well it's doing online as well, and because we obviously can see how well stories are doing through our analytics system, and it was in the paper as well, and various other websites had picked it up. And I, it's, it's a great thrill, thrill when you get stories like that. In terms of you creating contacts while this is all going on, how does contact like that arrive? Or on an ordinary basis, how is it that kind of you as a sports journalist go about making contacts? Well, it's it's, it's funny because as my role is, is uh, in digital, my role is predominantly office-based. So unlike the sports reporters who work for the paper, um, we don't get to go out to press conferences every every week. Uh, so from that side of things, it can be more difficult establishing uh, contacts and getting to speak to players and getting to know them. So that side of things is difficult. Um, and it's something which uh, is a bit of a bugbear of mine. But, you know, when it, when it does come to the lockdown, such as just now, you know, um, I have got a I know, unfortunately, I actually already know quite a lot of footballers through school or just through meeting them at various events. So you kind of just whittle down through through your contacts list. You speak to them, you ask, you know, if if, if they can put you in touch with a certain uh, footballer. You get in touch with the PRs, ask them if they can they can put you in, in touch with a footballer, and then you just you, you, that's how it really happens. You just take it from there, and you know, hopefully you get a chance to speak to them, and you make contacts through through that as well. You, you get in touch with the agents, and you know. You, Sometimes they'll be able to help you uh, help arrange interviews and uh, and you know establish contacts with them as well. So uh, there's various ways that you can do it. Speaking on the fact that you do do a lot of work digitally, how was that a conscious decision? Obviously, you know you found it. You came out of uni when? How many years ago was that now? Oh God, now you're asking. Uh, <laughs> 
think it was five years ago. Five years ago. So was that a conscious decision, kind of, you saw kind of the way the market was going in terms of maybe tabloid papers not being the actual paper copy, not being as popular as they maybe once were? No, nah, I mean, I'll, I'll make no bones about it. I, was, I kind of fell on my feet when um, I was really lucky when I finished uni. What happened was, in my final year of uni, I had a project to do, and the project, project involved having published work with a recognised uh, news title. So I was fortunate that my mum knew someone uh, who worked at the Scottish Sun, uh, and they kindly offered me work experience and sorted it out for me. So I'd been on work experience before at the Daily Record and SDV, and I was quite naive and particularly going into the Daily Record, I felt I wasted that opportunity. I went in, I didn't really have any ideas, didn't have any interviews lined up. I just kind of went in and thought, you know, they'll give me stuff to do. And that, that's not what happened, you know. You, you're quite off. Most of the time there, I, was, I went out to have a couple of press conferences and that was great. The guys were all gave me a lot of their time uh, and I can't speak highly enough of all the sports, sports guys there. But ultimately, I do feel that I wasted an opportunity there. So from that, when I got the work experience at the Scottish Sun, I thought, nah, I need to go in here busting my ideas and, and interviews and, and hopefully, you know, uh, make an impression. And that's what I did. So as you know, we went to school with, with Andy Robertson. Um, I went to primary school with him and St. Joseph and then later um, at St. Ninnings. I was a year above him, of course, but uh, kind of friendly enough with him. Um, and he was always really helpful when it came to to help me with interviews. I think he was at Dundee United or Hull at the time. Right. He was just through this the strength through into the Scotland squad. So I had an interview lined up with him getting into work experience at the Scottish Sun, and we got I got a, a my first exclusive byline in the paper and online as well, and that really helped me make a, an impression right away. And then I think I had another one with, with Derek White, who is effectively an uncle to me. He used to play for Celtic in, in Scotland in Middlesbrough. Um, when I lived in Dubai, we, we uh, became really friendly with him and now he's basically a big part of the family. So I was lucky enough to to, to know him as well. So I had a, a chat with him and that made the paper and as well and, and online. And, you know, from there, that's when I got offered shift work uh, digitally, just doing one shift, uh, and I think it was one shift a week and it was a night shift. It was a graveyard shift, 8pm <laughs> to 3am in the morning. Absolute Jesus. horrible shift. But, I was taking any work that I could. I was still at uni at yeah. the time. I thought, I'm cool. going to take this. I was absolutely buzzing uh, to be offered the opportunity. So accepted that. And then when I finished uni, I was fortunate enough to get more shifts. So I think I was working three or three and four shifts across news and sport. And I was on five shifts a week. Uh, and then I got offered the opportunity to become assistant online sports editor. So it was a staff job. I accepted it. It was over the moon. Spent two and a half, three years I think it's two and a half, three years in that role. And then just recently um, get promoted to deputy online sports editor. So, you know, I'm, I'm only 26. So it's, it's I've surprised myself how quickly I've kind of went up the, the, the chain. But I'm just, I'm, I'm loving every minute of it. I work with great people, extremely talented people across the office. And it's just a great place to work. And I just love writing it, as you know. It just, you know, I'm a football fan. Just love writing about football yeah. every day. And, uh, as I say, Scottish football certainly is it's, it's never born. I mean, obviously you are a big football fan, so I imagine it, obviously, uh, the graveyard shift is work, there's no doubt about that, but I imagine there's a lot of times that it doesn't even feel like work to you. Yeah, well, luckily they've changed that shift pattern, it's not, uh, <laughs> not anymore. Uh, so, I usually work 7am to 4pm or 3pm to, to midnight. That's the two shifts I, I usually work um, most of the time I'll be working in the morning and then usually 
one one week out uh, out in the month I'll be doing lights and it's nice because yeah, there's all different sorts of stories that break during the day and then at night and I like you know there's a, there's a night team as well and I like working with them uh, and then there's the day team as well so it's a nice it breaks up the, the month as well and the weeks as they, they go along and I, I I love every minute of it and I'm really fortunate uh, to be in the role that I am because you know I, I spent four years at uni and there's there's guys that did the same as me and unfortunately they never they never quite made it into the journalism industry because you know jobs are, are quite hard to come by so I'm really fortunate that I was you know I, I just how it came about with the work experience if it wasn't for that then I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. And how how much of the journalism Ryan is your part played in terms of keeping your finger on the pulse and like you said that stories can break you know whenever and how much of it is because obviously you might have a seven to four job but I imagine you still need to kind of keep your phone at hand in case something breaks at seven o'clock at night. I absolutely I mean just because I'm 74 doesn't mean that uh, at four o'clock, that's me I'm not working. You know, I'll always. I mean, I'll speak. It's not just me. All my my colleagues are the same. You know, if we spot a story, we think we'll do well. We've got a, a group chat. We send it in there, and the guys will decide whether or not they want to do it or not. So it's it's not a case of when you finish your shift. That's it. I mean, I do contribute. It's not just oh, I'm sport. I do. You know, if I spot a new story, we'll do that as well. You know, it was actually you were aware of the Catherine Calderwood story, the exclusive that we had from. Yeah, Catherine breaking the, the uh, government guidelines. Yes, I did. I, I, I know all of it. I would send them an expert. Yeah, so basically she was up in Eros Ferry and uh, she was up in Eros Ferry um, breaking the, the coronavirus rules which she set out as chief medical officer. Uh, and that was actually my, my tip. So that's probably going to... All right. That could be, that could be scoop of the year. Right. Only slight regret is I didn't get a, a joint byline in, in the paper. But, I mean, the company have made fortunes from that story. You know, we get, it was a great team effort. I supplied the tip. We um we got the snapper up to Eros Ferry and they they, they spotted uh, Catherine up there and, and and they got the the picture to stand the story up um and then obviously it went went viral it wasn't just national news it went across America Australia it was everywhere yeah I uh, heard it over here yeah exactly so um that was a I mean again that's a that's a huge moment. Uh, for me personally and also so how how did that come about Ryan obviously I don't I know not revealing sources and stuff but just tips in general and obviously don't need to talk about that specific one but is that is it I'm I'm just I guess what I'm asking is is it more chance than anything else that you just so happen to hear through the grapevine that this is a possibility and do you get quite a lot of them and you have to kind of weed out the the facts from fiction I mean as I say I don't really go into source for that story, but I mean, I, I, I mean, sometimes it can. I mean, you can spot some. I, I, I follow a lot of folk on Twitter. Various. I'm not. I won't. I won't disguise the fact I get quite a lot of stories from Twitter, uh, which we'll check out, and then if we, if, we, if we're able to stand it up, we'll run it online. And you know, I, I've kind of I like to think I'm kind of well connected in a sense as well, where people will, will supply me tips, and that's the same with kind of most people in, in the industry. Uh, and then you just take the stories from there. It's obviously a side of a job that is very entertaining, I imagine, especially once you get that story that you've been waiting on. So, Ryan, what does a typical day look like for you in terms of journalism? Just when you've not got a story to break, are you spending all day looking for stories or do you do a lot of kind of writing articles and seeing what sticks? Or uh, It's not... It's, there's, there's 
quite quite a lot of time with admin work as well. You know, in my role, it's not just about writing stories. You need to plan ahead. There's various meetings to attend. But in terms of writing stories, yeah, I mean, it's if I'm at seven o'clock, four p.m. shift, for example, we'll go into work. Uh, I'll look at our website, make sure there's no mistakes. Look through our our, our our paper, see if there's any additional lines which perhaps the night team have missed, and we can we can write it as a standalone, and it might generate more interest in the actual uh, paper article. And we just kind of work through a list of stories which we've got. Really, uh, we'll look through the, the other newspapers as well. We'll look through other websites, uh, and we'll ultimately we need to come up with our own ideas as well. You know, we've got to we've got to produce our own content. We've got to uh, you know, I, I, I always enjoy interviewing different people, especially people I've never spoke to before, and. Yeah, that, that's probably the most enjoyable aspect of it. You know, getting to speak to different people throughout the day, and it's just, it's you never know what's going to break during the day as well. You know, there's yeah. digital. We always want to get the story out first. You know, we've, we've got various rivals: STV, BBC, Sky Sports, Daily Record. We always want to. We, we kind of find ourselves in getting breaking news out there first, uh, and we judge that by the traffic that we get as well. So, you know, every day is a new day. You, you just don't know what to expect. Um, it can be quiet in the morning, and then something you break in the afternoon, and then you get the original story out, and it's up to you to get the reaction to it, and, and so on and so forth. So, aye, it's just every day is different. And what the other topic that I said that we'd touch on today, because it's obviously, you know, it's very rare, I think, that the journalist is on the other end of the stick, shall we say, in terms of the one being into interviewed but we'll talk about the idea that because it's something that fascinates me the idea of what Donald Trump's created in America the idea of this fake news monologue that's going around and I think the press I mean I obviously know you you know great guy but I think sometimes the press can get a bit of a bad rap in terms of maybe overstepping the line sometimes and and not telling all facts, which obviously that's... I feel like maybe at times journalists get tarnished with the same brush. In terms of the kind of reputation and making sure that what you're about to put out is the truth and what kind of leeway do journalists have in terms of being able to spin boss up as fact? As I say, the fake news term is, I think it's been popularised by Donald Trump. To me, fake news, I see it every day, right? So if somebody puts out a tweet on Twitter and it can rack up thousands upon thousands of retweets, people take that as gospel. And they'll relay that tweet to their friends, their family, and it goes widespread. I think the media's job in that is to look at that tweet, establish the truth, and set the, the record straight. Uh, and that's why there will always be, there's always going to be a reason for the mainstream media and the media in general. Uh, there's always a purpose for the media. For me, you know, I'll never put my, my name to a story which I don't know is true. Football is a bit different. You know, it is a. Of course. See, transfer rumours, you know. Fans love to, to read transfer rumours, you know. Uh, there's rumours happening all the time. It, you can have a bit of fun with it. It's a bit different when it comes to a public health crisis like coronavirus. You, there's no there's no place for rumours in. You've you've got a duty as a journalist to inform the public about the truth. But in terms of football, look, there's, if we if we see a, a tweet, for example, um, or somebody sends in a tip to us about, let's just say, let's just say, odds, well, 
let's just say a, a football or even a, a certain club. But we, we'd, we'd ask the club about it first. So, you know, the sports guys that write for the paper, they've they've got 20, 30, 40 years experience. And in that time, they've managed to build up incredible contacts. And they've, they can go straight to the, the top. You know, our guys know Peter Lawwell, they know all the other chief executives of Scottish football. So they could quite, quite easily say, look, this player's been like with Celtic, this player's been like with Aberdeen, this player's been like with Rangers. Is it true or not? And we'll get a straight answer. So if we see a tweet, I'll, I'll put it to one of the guys uh, in the sport desk, uh, and they'll be, they'll quickly be able to stand up or not. So that's kind of how that's kind of how we approach those those type of stories. You know, we, we, football is a gossip industry. I think you can get away with just writing, yeah. you know, stories about certain players going from one club to another. But you know, we do quite a lot of bookie stories as well. You know, bookies tip Stephen Gerrard to. To replace yeah. things like that, it's all—it's just part, part and parcel of football. I think. No, I definitely agree. I'd, obviously, I think sports a bit different because, yeah. like you said, you've got, and I know that you also get the players' agents asking for stuff to be in because they're in contract negotiations and they want yeah. leverage. And you know, I know there is a lot that goes into. It, I mean, so... agents sometimes feed you duff information, and again, it's up to us just to, to check with the clubs yeah. if it's true or yeah. not. So, future. Looking at the future now, Ryan. So, do you see yourself staying in sports journalism for a while? Do you look to branch out, or what? You what's what's next for yourself? Uh, yeah, I think I've always wanted since I was a wee guy. You know, I quickly quickly found out that I was never going to be a footballer, never going to become good enough to be a footballer like you and some of the other <laughs> pals I went to school with. Uh, so. The backup plan is always to go into football uh, journalism and, and sport journalism. That's exactly what I've done. You know, it was funny. <laughs> My dad was just saying to me the other day, there was a there was a wee guy, I think Henrik Larson, who just left uh, had just left Celtic for Barcelona. My dad's recorded me in his own his old flip up mobile phone, <laughs> me pretending to be Jim White breaking the news in Sky Sports. So he's getting he's getting he's getting me in video saying. Hi and well, hello and welcome to Sky Sports News. My name's Ryan McDonald. Oh, we've breaking news here today. Yep, yep. We just had confirmed <laughs> Celtic legend Henrik Larsson has joined Barcelona on a two-year deal. Uh, breaking news here. Yep, more more than that. <laughs> You know, it's just, it's, I've always wanted to be, I've always wanted to do football journalism as a wee guy, so, and throughout school, I, I always took the obvious options, like media studies and English and stuff like that, uh, and just as well, I was good at writing because I'm absolutely horrendous at maths, <laughs> and there was all, it was, this was, it was either this or, it was either football, it was either journalism or, or I was on the dole, probably, for the rest of my life. <laughs> so I, I kind of, I always focused on, always focused on, uh, on becoming a journalist and, and as I say, I tailored my my school studies around that, and then went to university, uh, got my degree, and then luckily I ended up where I'm just now. In terms of the future, I'm really happy where I'm. As I say, what with great people, what with a great company, and I always have always have had an ambition to work abroad one day. So maybe that will happen. You know, I used to live in Dubai, and uh, that really opened up my my eyes to to the big bad world. So. Uh, perhaps one day move abroad, but for the minute I'm extremely happy where I am. I just love what I do every every day. So we'll finish off, Ryan, with one last thing, and I'd like to ask all the guests we have on just as a point to finish on. So obviously you're a sports journalist, and if you were starting out again, I know you've talked about you know maybe wishing that you went into job experience situations with maybe a little bit more prepared. What would be you know one thing that you'd maybe tell your younger self or somebody that's starting out in sports journalism or wanting to be a journalist, what would be the best bit of advice you'd give them? 
Uh, for me, it's just get as much work experience under your belt as possible. You know, I think I know more than or just as much as anybody else how difficult uni can be at times and the workload that you can you've you've got. You know, get coursework, you've got exams, but don't expect to just walk out uh, of uni with a degree and and go straight into a job because unless you've got a good CV, unless you've got good work experience under your belt, that isn't going to happen. As I say, if it wasn't there for me getting work experience in fourth year making an impression I, I might I probably be working in a different industry than just now uh, I, I doubt you know I'm, I'm not sure whether I'd be, be working in journalism I don't know if they've got the opportunity elsewhere I don't know but all I can say is get as much work experience as you can um, if you're at school just tailor your subjects around journalism you know take media studies take english focus on that get the get the qualification you need to get in the uni focus as much as you can at uni get as much work experience as you can go in to if you get you know an opportunity go in with ideas go in with interviews lined up make an impression be enthusiastic uh, and hopefully by the end of it um everything will come good yeah i think it's obviously a very intriguing job and it's one that you know obviously when i was playing it it always interests me in terms of you know whenever stories broke and you always wonder geez how the hell did they know that and i never told anybody bar my gran you know and fucking all of a sudden somebody's somebody's wrote about it <laughs> uh, but i appreciate you being on mate i appreciate you sitting down having a chat and no uh, hopefully it gives people a insight into what the real world of sports journalism is and you know gets everyone up to date with what went on in scottish football and what maybe it'll look like going forward yeah as i say nobody really knows what it's going to look like going forward but hopefully we can get the game up and running uh, as quickly and safely uh, as we can and that concludes this week's episode of the 5am league podcast If you can make sure to share, rate and subscribe to the podcast, it will really help us grow the platform. And we'll see you all next week. Cheers, folks.